This episode is sponsored by the One Membership by Template Monster. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode 72, Flutter. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. So, before I jump into this, we've been having some major technical difficulties here on the show. I plugged in my my microphone, my blue snowball, and then Discord was like, would you like to use it? So I was like, hey, it must have worked when I plugged it in, as it does. And then we were talking for a while and found out I was talking actually through my webcam, and then it refused to connect, and then my USB hub apparently failed to reset, so then it didn't detect anything but still had power. And then I unplugged, then I realized my watch was plugged into the USB, because I have USB 2s and USB 3s in the front of the computer, so I unplugged my watch, which was charging from the USB 2s, and then plugged the microphone into the USB 2s, as I normally do, and then it worked. And then I manually reset the USB 3 ports, and now they're fine. And I've even let them auto-reset, and they're also fine. So I think the watch calls mass hysteria, which actually doesn't make sense at all, because I unplugged from one USB 3 and plugged into the other, and it worked for a moment, and then stopped working. Was it front front uh, bus USBs? They're, they're fronts, yeah. Okay, so my guess is the watch was pulling too much voltage. Too much too much current, I mean. You think that e- like even, even just a watch would be enough, you think? Yeah, I think USB 2, like, it's just not designed for charging. Oh, and then it screwed up the 3s because they're all connected, blah, blah, blah. Like Somehow, the, yeah. On, on I don't know how the 2s and the 3s are connected, to be honest, but that's my guess. Well, they're on the same, like, little front I.O. board. Yeah. So... So then, yeah, possible, yeah. Well, fucking... Yeah, because, like, it's right after I did that, and then I obviously I manually reset, or it would have reset when I rebooted, but I didn't want to do that again. But anyway, that's a little tidbit into what my weekly pain point will be, and hopefully Mike's microphone stays connected, and if he blue screens, then he's just a lost cause. But anyway... If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and you want to support us, a couple ways you could do that. You could review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform you're listening to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. We only have a couple of tiers, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out in the podcast, and we'll share a link to your website in our show notes. And uh, the most important one is probably to just tell your friends, let them know that we're here and ready to be listened to. And if you, you or your friends want to go a step further, you could do so by joining us in our Discord server. Well over 200 members now chatting away about my crazy antics on last week's show or last week's or maybe a couple weeks ago i don't remember but anyway my freak out and i'm about to freak out again so mike before i freak out you freak out weekly pain point take it away all right uh my weekly pain point is kind of tied to the last couple weeks that i've been talking about i've been doing a lot of traveling and flying sucks i don't know i Obviously, I'm not flying first class or anything like that. So economy flying sucks terribly because not only does it take a lot of time because you got to get to the airport three hours before, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but just being cramped in a seat for like six hours, just terrible. I, I don't know. I I don't know if there's any, any tricks out there that people use. Like I've been trying many different kind of strategies, but always end up just like sitting there and doing kind of nothing on the plane. Uh, I've been trying to like play a game or something, but for some reason I just can't do it on a plane. I'm, I don't know if I'm panicking or something like just I'm just panicking not, I'm, the whole flight. Planking I'm not the whole panicking, time. but I'm never relaxed if that makes sense. So I'm never like, oh, I feel good right now. It's always like I feel borderline okay at best. Kind of shitty, <laughs> kind of shitty all the time. Like for the for the entire time I'm sitting on a plane, there's people all around me coughing, babies, uh, crying, people farting like crazy. Like what? It, what? It- what type of flight are you on? Just go on the flight. Okay. Like yeah, what no, the there's fuck a is... lot of there's a lot of that going on. Like people 
I'm telling you, if you go on flights on a consistent basis, you just get used to the shit smell. Like, it's just, that's... I just have never experienced that. I've never yeah. experienced that on a plane. I've been on, like, two my whole life, but I've never <laughs> experienced it. Yeah, that's only two. But, you, like, you but like, ha- have you experienced two without that? I mean, probably. Okay, like, there you go. What's happening? A- Why, was it certain flights? It's like, oh, we're going to, I don't know, Europe. Oh, we're going like a hundred miles. Like usually, what, when it's the... longer than like three or four hours, it's worse. What in the hell? People is get going too on? comfortable there and like fall asleep. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but regardless, <laughs> like I've been on a lot of six, eight hour, ten hour flights, and it's just a shit shit show. And <laughs> literally, a shit show in, in a literal sense, yeah, um, yeah. So that's my weekly pain point. Uh, take it away, Matt. Well, I got a little bit. I got one tip for you. You asked for tips. I got one tip for you. Don't be overweight because then you're going to like <laughs> overflow the seat like I do. And the people beside me are like, what the fuck is going on here? It's going to be hor- – it's just horrible. It's absolutely yeah. horrible. Well, oh it's horrible for me and them. It's horrible. It's just a general <laughs> horrible thing. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Windows Update sucks. So last week I was bitching and crying about Zoom. This week I'm bitching and crying about Windows Update. I've already explained the USB fiasco. And – at first, I thought this was due to a Windows update, and it still could have been. I don't fucking know. It still could have been, because today, when I booted up the computer, and I started typing, that damn window showed up that was like, this is an important update. We need to update it right now. And I was typing, like, typing like a normal fucking person, and I pressed spacebar, and of course, it just scheduled me a time, because it, like, auto-focused on that button. Don't auto-focus shit. I understand why they do it, but don't do it. Like, like, this computer understands that I typically shut it down at night. Please do it at night. Like, it should be smart enough to realize I'm being shut down on a consistent basis. I'm going to shut down and update on that consistent basis. It's supposed to detect your work hours for you. Why the fuck isn't it detecting that? And don't autofocus. Like, stop my stopping my typing is annoying enough without me clicking spacebar and being like, oh, fuck, what did I do now? And then I'm like, is it restarting now? Like... So, please, Windows Update, and especially that pop-up, please, detect when I shut, shut my shit down, and just just piss off. Anyway, Jesus. Okay. Another rated R wet weekly pain point. Yeah, I was about to, to say, we should have had a disclaimer again. Whenever you're fired up, Matt, you should just auto-roll auto, auto roll a disclaimer there. Because <laughs> you know what's I, happening. Everyone knows it's going to happen. Everyone knows it's going to happen at this <laughs> point. Like, people have, like, you know, like, people have asked me to, like, lower it sometimes. This is me. I'm sorry. But when I get fired up, <laughs> hi, I'm Matt Lawrence. Hit me up on Twitter. Now, we're going to go through our segments here. This is going to be a mic-heavy episode. We got uh, we got segment one, which is what is Flutter. Oh, I got segment two, which is bumping my microphone. We got segment two and a half, which is how I use it. And segment three, which is future of development. And then, of course... Our web news, which is focused on reliability this time. So, Mike, please take it away. All right. So, segment number one, what is Flutter? So, let's talk about Flutter. Um, I mean, on the podcast, we've talked about it a few times. It's a cross-development framework created by Google for the ability, like the, the intention to create iOS and Android apps with one code base. So, this kind of technology has existed for a while now. Again, we've talked about many different kinds. We have, I think we have an episode on cross-platform development with a few different technologies that we cover that we've personally used. Uh, stuff like Cordova, like uh, PWAs are starting to get popular. Stuff like that is meant to solve this issue. 
Flutter does it in a slightly different way. So we're not talking about coding in JavaScript and then building into two different platforms through like a web view layer or an abstraction into the platform. We're talking about using a completely different kind of approach, which uses a graphics engine style rendering where it actually creates the layout pixel by pixel, kind of like a, a game would like an Unreal Engine type of scenario where they, they create a canvas and on that canvas, they draw what they need. So Flutter gives you the components and everything <coughs> to be able to draw what you kind of, what the layout of your app would be. And you code in a, in a language called Dart, which is also a Google developed language. Uh, and it will kind of draw what you need on there. So well, the advantage of this is that it can be, it takes away an abstraction layer. So you're coding directly into the engine of the app, similar again to how a game engine would code directly to an, to the, to the dry, like the video driver of, of the phone, of the application, stuff like that. So it's a little bit more to the metal in quotations, uh, than a web view approach, uh, or even like a React native approach. So it's, a, it's a little bit more, uh, performance wise and animation wise, especially, uh, uh, more like you're using the hardware more optimally. So it's been around for over two years now. Uh, two years ago, there was an alpha. Uh, and now it's been, I, I believe it's in a, a beta state to a certain degree. Uh, there are production companies in the wild <coughs> that have been using it. And in fact, our company that we're working with, uh, Content Link, is starting to migrate some of its functionality. Now we're not taking the whole application. We're just doing like a small little thing, small little piece called the photo booth uh, into Flutter because Flutter gives us a little bit more, again, performance, a little bit more control of the actual hardware of a device. Um, we're typically running on devices that aren't exactly the most powerful. So anything, any extra performance we can squeeze out of those devices. Uh, that's kind of what we go for. So, I have a couple. I have a couple questions for you. Actually, yeah, do it up. So, there's a couple of. Uh, this is more of an abstract question. So, there's kind of a weird negative stigma, which may have actually gone away, which we can discuss about using. I remember when, way back in the beginning of Android, there was like a stigma against using a web app or a web version of a website, or a, a, sorry, excuse me, a mobile version of a website versus like a native mobile app, and that was especially in the tablet space. At least I found. Personally, because I, well, I mean, I had a tablet back then, an old Android tablet. Um, also, like more recently, we've talked about having like a web app, like with Cordova, right? Obviously, we use Cordova and that's my thing. So, my, I guess my two questions is, do you think that Flutter was made and will kind of kill off that stigma toward that, like toward using the mobile version or the mo the mobile uh, web versions, if there even is a stigma anymore? And I guess the second question is. What is, or do you see this being one of these newfangled things, kind of like how we discussed on a recent episode, where this is not going to take off? Do you think this is going to replace Cordova? Like, where does it sit in the market of bringing mobile and or full desktop web experiences to native platforms? So I, I do have a segment later on covering like the future of development when it comes to Flutter. <coughs> and... Just to sum up, like just just to quickly answer your questions, uh, this isn't the same as a mobile web version of a of an app of a site. Mm -hmm. So like it's not the same as packaging an HTML JS website into a Cordova app and then putting it on a device. 
uh, nor is it the same as using all the other technologies. This is a completely different way of coding, and it doesn't generate web files, if that makes sense. It generates uh, like to-the-metal rendering files with actions. Again, like I, I like to equate it to a game engine. So like, uh, you know, in, in a game, you have a UI. All of that isn't rendered by the, like, it's not rendered by Java so much as it is rendered by a third-party engine, which writes on top of a uh, graphics kind of canvas, essentially. So that engine is is draw, is telling you like there this is where the UI thing this is what you do when you press a button stuff like that it's using a completely different approach um, than a web version where it's web, a web version usually is just a, a web view that's right. that's kind of what it does uh, <clears throat> as to the future of it and how if do I think it's a fad I don't think it's a fad. Um, and I'll get to why in, in detail that is like later on once I describe what Flutter is and how to use it and stuff like that. Um, but to suffice this to say that I think it's, it does have a pretty bright future with the developers that I've been talking to that the production environments that I've seen it in, I think there, there is a future for Flutter. I obviously nothing's guaranteed, but that, that's my opinion. Well, what's, what's, what's interesting is I'm pretty sure in a past episode, we actually were saying that Flutter may not have a place. So this is sort of a 180, I suppose, as well. We okay. So in in a future in a previous episode, and we got called out on this a little bit by someone. Uh, we said we didn't know about Flutter. We didn't know where it would go. We weren't sure. Um, and it's because of that stigma that Google has, right? Like where it will just kill anything that it doesn't see doing like well enough in their standards. It'll just kill it without any recourse. That's actually similar to. We were actually talking about on my gaming podcast. Um, we were actually talking about about uh, Stadia. I couldn't remember the name of it. So Google Stadia and how it, you know it, it has its fair share of problems. But let's say it ramps up. You know it improves. It gets better, and it's the hottest gaming platform of the next holiday season. I wouldn't be surprised at all is at, if after record numbers come out for Stadia that Google kills it in March. Like Google has that sort of track record where I would say that they wouldn't be, they wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they say, Hey, we're no longer going to be pushing out features and we're going to slowly start killing it. And they make that announcement in March. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm just saying that that's the stigma where I would not be surprised at all. Okay. Well, so to be fair with Google's track record, track record of killing things, it kills things that aren't doing as well as they want them to be doing. Right. Um, so if like, I see there a possibility of that happening, but most likely if it does well, which I don't think it will. I, I'm, I have a lot of thoughts on Stadia right now, but I, I don't think it will It will do well in the near future, maybe future future. But if it did kill all the other consoles, I think they would for sure support it and let it grow. Like I don't think there's any chance, like I literally zero, zero point zero chance if, they, if they're beating other consoles that they would kill it. Because again, stuff that does well with Google, like really well, Gmail, Google Photos, Stuff that people like use on a daily basis, they don't kill. Stuff One, like Hangouts, right? Where it had a very split audience. That that was like a very potential thing. Like I would I would say that that was on the on the edge of like people really liked it. Some people really hated it, but there was a lot of people using it. It wasn't reaching their like it wasn't reaching their vision of of usage. So that's why they killed it. Same with all their new applications that they constantly like they put something out there and if it doesn't do well immediately, 
they ramp down the production crazily, like the development team crazily, and then that gives it no chance of surviving. So if that happens to Stadia, like if if the numbers come back on Stadia to the board meeting and the numbers are like really bad, I could see them killing it immediately almost. Or like putting it in maintenance mode for two years, seeing what happens and then killing it. You know what I mean? But if the numbers come back to the board and they're like, oh, we're beating PlayStation and Nintendo, which isn't going to happen. But I'm just saying if it does, I can 100% guarantee they're not going to kill it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. They haven't killed Android and Android's all over the damn place, which makes sense. Exactly. It's profitable. Although, it, it's it's very strange to me. I mean, this is off topic at this point, but it's very strange to me that they don't push things. So, for example, if... Hangouts was on the edge. Why did they just kill that, open up Allo, not really seem to try very much? And then I think they pushed the desktop app for Allo out, and then they, like, the next day or something like that, they just killed it. They killed the app. Yeah. They announced they were going to shut. Like, that's so weird. And, and I'm that- not defending their strategy of doing that. And I, I also think it's weird and not efficient. And and it kind of it kind of puts this stigma into people's eyes. Like, I don't want to invest my time into a Google app. Because it could be killed. So that's another very negative thing that they're doing because of this, with this. So I hope that they're going to change it. But uh, and I'm just saying. And is a mess. Like, holy crap. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot of little things in Google that don't make sense to me. Just release a, a messaging app. Yeah. And release a messaging app, which they are apparently released. Anyway, that's, again, that's besides the point. But like, like I said, I'm not defending Google in this case. I'm just saying, like, they won't kill it if it's doing well, if that right. makes sense. Okay. That's all. That's all I'm saying. So back to back to Flutter. Um, the the reason why I think it's it's irrelevant of Google's killing it or not is because this is an open source platform and people have started taking it on their own and making plugins for it and stuff like that. And even if they were to say we're stop we're stopping supporting it, that doesn't stop anyone from you know taking it and supporting it further, which is not to, not the same thing as all their other stuff. And it is gaining traction. Google is supporting it more and more. They they recently released Flutter for web into I believe alpha I'm not sure if it's alpha or beta I know you can download it now it is merged into the main channel and you can build from one code base into three different uh, three different uh, platforms so iOS Android and web now I'll talk about it in a little bit the the web one is kind of iffy so moving on to the next segment here <coughs> how did I like how do I use Flutter right now. Uh, the first thing was ramping up. So ramping up uh, was kind of iffy because I come from a very heavy JavaScript background. Now I've done other coding. Like I have done a little bit of Java, C Sharp, Python and stuff like that. But I'm mostly like for the last three or four years, I'm mostly doing JavaScript. And since Dart, the language that Flutter uses, is object oriented, I had to kind of wrap my head around object oriented again. And it took me a little while. Flutter also uses this kind of Java-esque widget inheritance uh, thing where you kind of inherit, like when you create a widget, a UI widget especially, you inherit from a different, like a a library of widgets. So if you want to make like a button, uh, you can create a button, but then you inherit all the properties of that button from a already created like structure for that button. So then you can use stuff like on tap and you can use uh, like a width like how how wide you want the button to be, that's all built into the inheritance, like to to your uh, parent object. So that, although it makes sense, it took me a while to wrap my head around, and I kind of tried to do it on my own for a little bit. When I re- and then I realized it's just taking too long, so I found a course. Um, and I'm sure people have heard of this guy. His name is Maximilian, uh, and I'm not 
I'm not going to pronounce this right, but Schwarzmuller, Schwarzmuller, I think, something like that. He does a lot of different tutorials. He has a Udemy course for Flutter, and it's really, really good. Uh, I highly recommend it. It gave me a really good base to be able to then ask the right questions. That's an, that's an important thing, right? Like we mentioned that many, many times. Like when you get a good base, you're not only giving yourself a good platform to learn off of, you're also giving yourself a good platform to you know troubleshoot off of and ask the right questions instead of just shooting in the dark uh, when you don't know anything. So that's what it kind of gave me. And I did like three segments of it. And I would go and do my thing and then I go go back to the course, do some more, go back to the actual application that I'm working on, do some more coding. And I would go back and forth and I found that method really like kept me motivated because I directly applied what I learned right away. Uh, sometimes it would, it would require me to refactor an application. So like if I were to do a really simple functionality and then I would add on a couple more complex functionalities and then I would go on in the course for a little bit longer, I found out that you can actually combine those into one. And uh, that would cause me to go back to the actual application, redo a, por- a portion of it just to be more clean. Um, usually wouldn't have wouldn't be too complicated, but that's kind of how I approached it. There's nothing wrong with you going doing the entire Udemy course and then going and working on Flutter. Uh, it's a, it's it's completely up to you, depending on how you learn. Myself and my co and one of my coworkers actually, we both went through the course and it's it's helped quite a bit. So that's why I can kind of recommend it pretty easily. Um, so that was kind of the ramp up, uh, development wise, uh, I used V, I automatically use VS code because that's what I use for web and it has all the flutter tools built into it. Uh, or actually there's libraries and extensions that automatically get added on. If you start a dart file kind of thing, or you start a flutter project <coughs> and they're very robust, they have stuff like Emmet already built in formatting lint refactoring stuff like that is very very easy to use and it it kind of goes very closely to how i code in javascript anyway so that's kind of it was very familiar um and once i got the hang of widget style architecture with the inheritance and splitting up your widgets into different files using some callback structure so that widgets can communicate with each other something that i haven't actually done communicating with each other uh formally uh through um through a, like a like a store or a, a Vuex kind of solution, like I have I haven't impl- implemented that quite yet. I've just been able to just kind of communicate widget to widget, uh, and just just using callbacks and pass passing variables here and there. Our application isn't complicated yet. I will for sure look into a, a more robust communication network when I take on a much larger project, which is actually in, on the docket. Uh, and. That's kind of that's kind of how I've been going. I've been again getting hang of, getting the hang of object oriented again, getting the hang of, of widget architecture. And at the beginning, I would have to refactor often, like I was saying. But the tools that are in place in VS Code uh, help help with that quite a bit. There's a couple of um, a couple of really handy shortcuts that I use. One of them is uh, Shift Alt F, and that kind of formats the document for you, so it'll use your lint configuration that you have set up so how you want the format to look and automatically format your whole document so if you have a bunch of spaces that aren't the correct size and you have tabs in the wrong places it'll format that for you the other thing that i use is when you want to like wrap a widget with another widget and that happens quite often in flutter uh, you use a refactor shortcut which is Control shift r and it gives you the options of what you can do with the wrapping of that widget so you don't have to go in and like copy pay copy cut 
make a widget, paste it in. It'll actually do all that for you, the wrapping of, of, of widgets, which is a big time saver, especially for uh, using when you're using Flutter and Dart because you're going to be wrapping stuff in, in containers. You're going to be wrapping stuff in aligns. You're going to be wrapping stuff in a, many, many different widgets just to get placement. Um, and at first, it's kind of daunting because I'm – like when I'm coding in CSS, I try to do as the minimal amount of wrapping. So I try to get, get away with like, you know, having a div and in a div, I have all the content that I need without having to put a div within a div within a div within a div. <laughs> uh, with Flutter, it's a little bit different where you're not wrapping container within a container within a container, but you're wrapping like a, a, a column. And then inside the column, you have multiple rows and inside those rows you have a, a container and inside that container you might have an align which is a separate widget that aligns something for you and then inside that align you would have like your image that you would want to do so it's a very different i had to change my mindset where yes i'm i i don't like wrapping but in this case it's very functional wrapping where you're not like you're not doing anything redundantly you're just using the tools that flutter and dart give you to better to better lay out your components without having to write your own kind of layout structure. That's kind of, that, that's how I've approached it. And again, it took me a little while to wrap my head around. Um, another thing is compiling does take a bit longer than any sort of web technology that I've been used to. Like any sort of webpack compile or dev server compile in web has been a lot faster than compiling for Flutter. So that's a consideration if you have a slower computer. Uh, not that it can't do it. It can for sure still compile it. Like, uh, I know someone was using like a 20, 2009 MacBook and it was still compiling. It's just like you hit save with its auto reloading. You'll be waiting like, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds for it to resync all the files. When you're f- compiling to a first, to a device from, from scratch on a device like that, uh, or on, on a laptop like that, you're, you're talking like, you know, it could be two, it could be five minutes before it actually launches on the device. Uh, a, a faster device can do it faster. That's why it's kind of, it, it's a consideration. With web, I usually recommend like any kind of computer and you can get started and anything works great. With Flutter, it does require compiling. Therefore, if you're looking into, you know, development in general and you're out there, like you're just like, what what kind of computer should I get? I would recommend something a little more beefy at this point if you're looking for uh, not doing just web web development. And the other thing is, uh, there is some knowledge of iOS coding and Android coding, native coding involved, and it's very minimal and it's not required, I would say. Um, so like iOS, you would use Objective-C or Swift, Android, Java or Kotlin. But if you want some native functionality or you want like a bridge between your Flutter application and a native side, so if you need something in native that Flutter doesn't allow... Uh, you can communicate. There is documentation, Flutter native documentation for communicating between uh, native uh, functionality and Flutter functionality. It isn't simple. I'll say that right away. Like that, that's probably what took me the longest time to wrap, to get to get up and running. But when you you do it and you do it a couple times, like you kind of set up one pattern and what that works for you, and you replicate that pattern, it's not too too bad. And again, it's not required for every app. It's just so it just so happened that since I'm building an application that is already built with Cordova and I'm just adding on to it with Flutter, I had to kind of communicate between Flutter, Cordova and the native uh, architecture. So that that was what was really complicated. Again, 
not required for every kind of development. Obviously, if you're creating an app from scratch, you might not need it at all, or you might need it on a very minimal basis. The other thing with Flutter is performance. Uh, so performance is a big is a big part of the reason why we decided to go with the Flutter route. Because again, you can only get so far with web technologies. And Flutter is kind of like the intermediate step. Now, I'm not saying that it's on par with native technologies. It's not on par with like coding in Kotlin or Java or coding in Objective-C or Swift. I would say like it's it's still – you could still crank more performance out if you code natively. But it is better than any sort of React Native or uh, or like Cordova WebView or anything like that. It's definitely better than that. You can use multiple cores and stuff like that. It's, it's a little bit tricky, but you can – um, and it does render stuff a little bit more smoothly. And again, we're using very limited hardware, like we're using chips that are quite a few years old. Uh, and we're trying to get as much tech, as much performance out of it as possible. And again, as much, as much communication with hardware elements as possible. So we're using the camera of, like quite intensively in our application. Again, it's a photo booth application. So the performance of the camera is better than the web view performance that I was experiencing. Now, if you look online, you'll see that it's still not anywhere close to the native performance of a camera. Um, but apparently the Flutter team, the Flutter camera team is working on bringing it more on par. So I'm looking forward to that as well. <clears throat> and that leads into kind of how the testing environment looks. So when you're testing with Flutter, uh, it's very similar to how web, web like uh, JavaScript testing is. So you put your breakpoints uh, your VS code can handle all your debugging. So you put your breakpoints right in VS code. Uh, that's where you start your debuggers from everything, all your emulators. You can start them and maintain them from VS code, which is really useful. Like that's including iOS and Android when you're on a Mac, obviously you can't test iOS on a PC. Like you just can't do it or Linux. You have to be on a Mac. Um, but on a Mac, you can test both Android and iOS kind of simultaneously, which is which is convenient. And you can launch all those emulators straight from VS Code. You don't have to get out. Now, you do have to have Xcode installed, but that that's not a big deal. Um, and again, when you have the ability to use emulators, you can kind of test any device sizes. So that's not an issue. Uh, Flutter works great with emulation as far as I can see it. Uh, I've, I've done quite a bit of work just with emulators. So even with camera pass-through, it works qu- quite quite well. Uh, the breakpoints work very similarly again to the JavaScript where when it breaks on a point, you can kind of look at where all the local variables are, what they're, what they contain, uh, what state you're on, what's the next thing that's going to run and stuff like that. So I use, I use a very similar debugging approach and testing approach to flutter as I would with JavaScript, which is great that those skills kind of go hand in hand. The only thing that's kind of different is the inspect element. So there is kind of an inspector ele- of, of elements, but it's just showing you kind of the structure of your application, like what what widget is where rather than the attributes of that widget so much. Like it's I, I you can see some uh some height and some width attributes here and there, but you can't change them and you know rapidly prototype right inside the inspector like you could with uh chrome inspect tools and stuff like that so that's something that i can see them getting better at as it as it goes that's something that's a feature that i can definitely see them adding in in the future uh and lastly here in the development side uh collaboration is quite simple in a sense that because you can build widgets into different files and then import them so if you want to collaborate with multiple different developers 
you can each kind of be working on a separate widget. And since the widgets contain both the logic and the layout, it's a little bit easier and a little bit more actually kind of like uh, Vue.js components, uh, which is something that I've gotten used to more and more used to, to be able to collaborate with. So you have one file that contains like your icon and all the logic that goes into displaying your icon or the functionality of that icon, whatever. But it's a, so it makes it easier to be like, hey, developer A, you focus on this icon. Developer B, you focus on the overall layout. So it, it, it's good separation like that. Uh, but other than that, it's really like oh, the overview of the development aspect is I have grown to really like it and I've grown to be quicker with it. Um, I definitely see myself using it in the future and that'll lead into the next segment. But uh, right right now I am kind of – I'm still learning obviously. Like I'm still going back to the course every once in a while and learning how to do everything. But uh, everything is falling into place if that makes sense. Well, I actually have a question then about this then. So – a lot of the things that we cover on this sh- on this show overall are definitely web development focus. So to clear this up for the people that are just getting started, this isn't this isn't like another web. This isn't like Tailwind to CSS. This isn't like jQuery to JavaScript. This is a totally new programming language by Google. And so I guess what my question is, what would you say? Like, is is this something that you could start on? Is this something that you would maybe you should start doing web and then you th- it benefits this because you're saying you're doing a course like where is is this is this a starting point is web really even related to this like this is more this is more focused on cross platform more than it is like Cordova where you make a website and then you make the website into apps that are cross platform this is this is just a totally separate thing from a website like right you're not using HTML you're not using CSS you're not embedding any of that stuff. You're just, this is just a purely, this is just a new thing. Is this, is this, do you think, a starting point for people or should there be any backbone similar to how we always preach, learn vanilla HTML, CSS, JS, then learn jQuery or whatever you want to learn? So I think this is a starting point. Now, is it premature to say that? Maybe. Because if your goal is to get a job as quickly as possible... I would say probably not. It's not going to be as easy. Okay. But if your goal is to be future, like if you currently have a job that you're happy with and you just want to learn how to code and your goal is like maybe, you know, putting out your own kind of projects out there and maybe in the future applying those skills to a different job, I would say that this could be a potential starting point if that makes sense. Because because uh, it is a – a very good introduction into object-oriented programming. And I think the, the starting point that, that this would lead to is maybe not web development, but maybe core app development, if that makes sense, if, like, if it comes to that. So I think you understanding how Flutter works will be easy. It'll be easier for you to pick up Java or Kotlin, and it'll be easier to pick up Swift or Objective-C. Will it be easier to pick up JavaScript? I mean... Going back to JavaScript is a lot easier than coming from JavaScript. That's always what people say. Um, but it's a lot of a headache because you get used to structure. JavaScript is very unstructured right. and wild. Whereas Flutter or anything like that is very – it's much more structured. It's typed. It's not strongly typed, I would say. It is – I mean, they call, I think they call it strongly typed. But you can use something like a var, which is like a very loosely typed variable. But 
<coughs> you absolutely have the ability to use ints, doubles, and you're you're you should be using those things when you're when you're doing uh, Flutter development. Should be very clear what you're storing in variables. Um, whereas with JavaScript, it's a little bit more loose. But the way I bring it back to web development, and the way I I put I wrap my head around it is a uh, Flutter does have a web deployable version, so like you can build an app for your phone, for your for your iPhone, for your Android device, and for the web. Now, again, like I said earlier, the web version is just starting to get implemented, so it has a few things that are weird about it. The performance of it is actually kind of meh on the web, but they are improving it. There's some really weird things where, like, if there's a button or like a uh, a link. Your 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 browser won't detect that it's a link, so it won't give you that you know that thumb or whatever the the pointer finger. Yeah, which so weird little things like that uh, stop me from like recommending it as a web technology. But it is building into a web technology, and it is something that could. And again, when you if you know Flutter, let's let's say like three years down the line when Flutter matures, because in our industry stuff matures pretty quickly. Three years down the line, if Flutter matures, and you know Flutter really well. You can be building a website, two apps in very good performance with one code base. So that's why I think it is a starting point. And that's why I think it's important for web developers to know about it at least. Uh, because if they get into an environment where their opinion matters <laughs> and their team is very small and they're like, we need, we need an app, like we need an iOS app and we have two people. And we don't have any, you know, objective C expertise, but we also need to maintain our web stuff. I think this kind of technology, it, it's it's a little bit easier to a develop with than iOS than than Kotlin or Swift. Uh, and it's a it's a little bit the barrier to entry is lower for sure than just jumping into native app development. What what do you think? So I I, I think I'm I think I'm more puzzled at where where this fits so for example html5 or with the emergence of html5 years ago and the emergence of web technologies and the power of the web like the web can access your webcam and all this stuff now which are more recent changes in the past few years now that we have things like that those those type of functionalities were sort of brought on board and were kind of thought of to be hey maybe the web is going to start taking over things where we have progressive web apps and we're not going no longer going to have native apps but flutter seems to be in this weird position where it's not making a native app but it's also not really making a website and i understand you were saying that it's eventually going to be able to do that but what what is the like what's the i guess what i'm asking here is what's the end game here do we see like do we see html css and js going away what is the what is the where does this fit? I don't really get it. I get I get that it's useful if if we today desperately needed an app on all platforms, then you know, step in Flutter, but also step in Cordova, also step in progressive web apps. Like now we're starting to get not only are we getting crowded in just like if we just look at the web space where we have Vue.js and all these other tools, Tailwind and fucking Bootstrap and all these other things. Like not only are we crowded there, now we're getting crowded in the niche that is cross-platform development. So, like, where? What's the end game with Flutter? Is this? Is it? Is it a? Is it aiming to replace anything? Is it aiming just to be an option? Like, what is? I, what's going on? 
I don't know if it's aiming to replace anything. I think it is aiming to be more of an option for better native app development that doesn't require you to develop two separate apps. Because again, you can do it with Cordova. But as we've learned, performance does suffer when you're talking about media heavy applications, when you're talking about function, like actual hardware functionality. Like I, I can't, I can't use a camera properly. I can't do what I want with a camera with a Cordova app on iOS. Like I can't. The only thing I can do is launch a camera application, which is already pre-made and I can't do anything with it. And then receive a picture back from that camera application. That's it. So that's, that's my limitation with Flutter. I can do whatever the heck I want with a camera. And it gives me native kind of a, a native bridge to the camera. So whose fault that- is that though? Is that Cordova or is that like Flutter? Flutter is a cross-platform thing. Cordova is porting a website. Is that, yes. is that in your, and I don't know whether this would be more of an opinion or more of like just a straight up fact or like, I don't know where this stands, but is it Cordova's quote unquote fault? That, nope. that, that, that functionality does exist. Is it the limitation of, of the, just the overall limitation of making a website into an app or? It's only iOS. It's, it, it is purely Apple's fault that this is happening. Like 100%. Now. So, so, so like, a, a Cordova Android app works fine with the camera. Works, works perfectly fine, but perfectly fine in a sense, like the, the quality is pretty bad. But everything that I want to do, like I can do whatever I want with the camera preview and I can do whatever I want taking a picture, but I can't access native hardware APIs for any sort of processing, like camera processing. Right. I have to, I would have to roll my own. Um, and I don't, I don't get the, the full resolution as far as I understand from the camera in a web, in a web, uh, div. And you can't, and there's no way for a technology to do that. Like if we were to say, that's it, we're making Cordova 2. I don't know, something. Is there no way for a web technology to ever breach that gap? No, because, because I, I'm not going to say ever. Currently, no. But how is like, so I guess, I guess where my question is there lies in is, why is Flutter its own thing and not basically a new or a more enhanced or whatever Cordova-like thing that converts the website over? Like, why is Flutter its own thing and then converting to all this when there's already a thing that converts? Like, why isn't it just an improvement on Cordova and an enhancement on it? Because it's it's using its completely different rendering engine. So the rendering engine that it's using, like I said, is more like a game engine where it literally writes it pixel by pixel depending right, on what you, you need. but you could... Whereas... You could have a you, renderer read html css and then render it like that on something like a like i'm talking like i'm not a person that writes these things i'm you're I'm talking asking. about you you're but you're talking about like up obfuscating even more like going even higher levels like making it even worse performance well i'm, ta- I'm I mean? talking about flutter being a rendering engine like and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's what it is like let's you, just say an app using, being, a, being yeah. a, a rendering engine and then it and then it just works the same way that flutter does now but it uses like a web code base you know what I'm trying to say? Cross like transpiles into a Flutter type code and then cross piles yeah. and like again, you're cross. You would have to write that cross compiling stuff right into all the way down into the rendering engine. So it would be very complicated. Like all the different all the different aspects of web going into something like a a, a compiling engine would be very complex. Like it would be it would require like you know a massive team. And a lot of years to to do. Whereas, if you just go with Flutter, 
since they like again flutter is built by google so they have a big team with with them already and they decided to use their own dart language because it's a closer compile compile to kotlin and uh swift whereas javascript is so far away that you'd have to compile it to something like dart and then from dart you'd have to compile it to something like that because again it's a totally different language structure if that makes sense like it's not object oriented at all. It's not using any classes. No inheritance in in JavaScript is what I'm saying. Like it it was basically invented to be converted into these different platforms. It was it was invented to to exactly to to be able to communicate and be a bridge between them. Although it it is used for many different things internally in Google. In my, I, as far as I understand it, it was invented to be able to work alongside Java and Kotlin and all, alongside. Uh, uh, Swift and Objective C. Uh, that's how that's how I understand it. I'm not 100 percent sure. Like I can't answer your question definitely. Yeah, but of course. Yeah, I I do under like I do think that Flutter has a, a, a space in the industry. I don't think it's going to replace JavaScript and HTML and CSS. <clears throat> um, and this is good. Like it's good that we're talking about this because the next segment is future of web development or sorry future of development in terms of Flutter. Uh, and this leads right into it and kind of you know, answers a million of the questions that I already, I already answered. So with Flutter, I do believe it, it has a place in the industry without it replacing anything. <clears throat> the only thing I could see it replacing is the need for a team of people to be building really rudimentary and simple applications that do require some hard, some, some uh, hardware support. So it's not just a like, data application where you're just you know tapping a couple things and getting some data out of it you're actually using some of the hardware like the camera or uh the compass or something something that or push notifications something that uh cordova has trouble with something that uh pwas definitely have trouble with like i can't i can't use the camera in a pwa inside of ios can't do it Right, I remember. Uh, I think I, I think we talked about this, not on we talk, not on camera yeah, we, or whatever, but exactly. So I can't even. It's not. It's a non-starter. You know what I mean? Even though I love PWAs and I, I'm using it for rapid prototyping, I can't. I still can't continue with it because our application requires a camera for multiple different things. It's just one of those. It's just like a. It's a decision, and Flutter gives you another option in that decision point. And hopefully, I mean, at Endgame, maybe Flutter pushes Kotlin and Java to decide to, or, or sorry, Java, Swift, and Objective C, and all those things to maybe make a single language to compete with Flutter or something like that. That would be amazing if if they would all come together with maybe Flutter and be like, okay, this is what we're going to use moving forward, and we'll give you access to all the hardware APIs, everything. You won't have to do your own rendering engines and all that. Um, maybe that's that's the future, like one language for all the different devices, including web. But like that's very far out. Like you're talking ten years. Like it's far out in terms of our development cycle. Ten years technically in a in a in a manufacturing industry is actually not that far out. But in a web development industry, ten years is like an eternity away. So much stuff can happen in that time. So <clears throat> let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because I'm getting this. I'm getting this vibe after after all of this, and I don't mean to cut you off there. But what is all of this type of stuff? Cordova, Flutter, all this, everything, and I'm, we're gonna get. I'm gonna get flack for this possibly. 
is all of this stuff, Kotlin, I don't care, is all of this stuff noise and just means learn the native, the native ways to do things? At the end of the day, is the web going to be HTML, CSS, JS? Is, is, IO, is uh, Android going to be Java? Is iOS going to be, I forget what iOS is, Swift or whatever the hell it's called. Like, is that, is, it, at the end of the day here, reali- realistically speaking, we have so many of these emerging technologies that are useful. I'm not saying they're not useful. I'm not saying they're not used. I'm not saying any of that. But are we, are we talking about, you need a web, you need a web dev guy, you need an Android guy, and you need an iOS guy, and that's the way to do it if you want long-term, forever apps on platforms everywhere. So... The problem with that, and I agree with you in a certain degree, that that is kind of like if you're a big enough application, if you're a big enough company, you should you should be doing that. But the problem is, is that it's not an io, it's not an iOS guy, it's not a web guy, it's not a web, it's not an Android guy, it's an iOS team, right? It's an Android team, and it's a web development team. So a small startup or a startup in general, not even a small one, you're talking investing you know millions of dollars into a development team. To be able to build across three different platforms, or you invest a hundred thousand dollars or a couple hundred thousand dollars a year into a few, you know, decent developers that develop a Flutter application that goes to all three. So you're the, the money dispar the disparity in money is what's causing this. Like it's too expensive to program all three platforms perfectly in really good performance, even though that that's the that is the best way to go about it. Like, yes, you should be like, if you're, if you're serious and you have like millions of dollars in funding and you think that your application can make tons of money right away, then maybe it, it's worthwhile to invest in that. But most of the time, that's not the case. Like most of the time, you don't want to be like spooling money into a, a thing that maybe won't generate enough money to cover the development cost of it. So this, this gives the opportunity for smaller ideas to grow bigger. Whereas if, if it was only native, then small ideas would never get out there because it's just it would just be it would just be too expensive it would be cost prohibitive so it's not it's not noise like this stuff like this isn't noise it's just it's like a it, you know what it is actually is it's if if you take it right into the web world as most of our audience is in if you take it into the web world it's the same as you having you sign up for some sort of hosting plan which is a shared hosting and your website grows so much that you eventually need dedicated hosting you're literally outgrowing it. This this could be a stepping. This could be very well used as a stepping stone for your company. Small, you use Flutter to like pump out all these apps. But then, if your company hits it big, then you could start developing apps for yourself or for customers via the native platforms because you would have the funding behind you to have the guys trained in each of the different things and have a team for each platform. Yep. When it makes sense, obviously. When like, it makes like sense, I, of it, course. Yeah. In. in in our case, like we're building this Flutter photo booth thing, we're building a bunch of multimedia application, like uh, multimedia things. Our case would benefit heavily from a native implementation on both sides, Android and iOS. So I could see in the future us converting everything that we've built into both native teams, it, like having two teams building two separate applications, but that are like the same. For both devices, I could see that happening because of what we're doing. But a small application, 
that needs to do little things here and there, like that doesn't need to do any heavy multimedia or heavy image processing or and, and like statistics tracking, analytics tracking in the background. I could see them not having to ever invest, you know, millions of dollars into their development team. Like you would never, you, you would just, never build a Lightroom clone in Flutter. Yeah, not not to compete with Lightroom for sure. I wouldn't. Right, but you would. You, I build, but you I could build do one to test out, but that's it. But you could do I something can, like Snapseed. Snapseed's a pretty big application too. <laughs> well, because I'm I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get a, a feel yeah. for this because you're saying that because you're saying you're building a photo booth, which is not necessarily heavy image processing, but like certainly heavier than just like loading a fo- Facebook post that has a picture in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But like heavier than a blog, like stuff like that. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't make a blog in. I, I would. I personally wouldn't make a blog page like HTML. The things I would not make that in native. That would be something I would definitely use something like Flutter for, or Cordova, or something like that, or PWA. Which 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 honestly just makes sense because you're just basically yeah. delivering web content or just just content, text and pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like dev dot dev dot two. Like I don't know. I think they just like you know compile their application into uh, web. Maybe it's React Native or something like that. That'd be fine too one of those one of those technologies for something like a blog is perfectly fine i don't think you would ever need to invest too much money and develop a native application right at this point okay well fair enough um i think with that to be honest uh we've covered everything that i wanted to cover in segment three with the questions which is great uh so i think we're just going to pass it off to you for web news right so before we do web news of course the sponsor spot uh this episode is sponsored by the one membership by template monster one membership your ultimate web development kit and this includes wordpress and cms themes e-commerce themes powerful plugins presentation templates diverse graphics unlimited installations 24 7 technical support and one year of free hosting use our link tinyurl.com html all the things and our unique promo code for 10 percent off that's html all the things 10 we receive a monetary kickback for any purchases made using our link and promo code and that link and promo code will be in our show notes now onto our web news reliability this week that's what we're covering so in a world where everything relies on ten thousand libraries a bunch of third-party services the list goes on reliability no longer falls to just a product or a website's creator recently the webflow editor for example was having issues with embedding youtube videos which was later found out to be an issue with embedly now without browsing the forums because i'm the web dev on a couple of web admin or uh, webflow things so Obviously, I'm going to be browsing the forums, but if you were not a person that browsed the forums, you're just a content editor and you're editing content on a Webflow website, you would have no idea that the issue was something third party. You would just blame Webflow or blame a Webflow update or something. You would never know that Embedly was involved. So you have to actually kind of investigate to figure out, oh, look, web, you know, Embedly is involved. Similarly, things like the Google Cloud cloud outage that was this summer this past summer uh, 2019 almost at 2018 so the summer of 2019 there was a an outage of Google Clouds which took out a bunch of different apps and a bunch of different services big one a, a real big example would be Snapchat that was having issues during that time and again if you didn't know anything about tech and you didn't do an investigation and you tried to open Snapchat you'd be blaming Snapchat same with Microsoft so Microsoft very recently had a had a big Office 365 outage and again, 
like that one's kind of like on them, obviously, but God knows whether it was some other sort of thing on the back end, whatever. Doesn't matter. What I'm trying to say is, is that this sort of situation happens all the time in web development where the typical agency relies on a, let's say, a reseller for their hosting, because they don't control that company, a DNS provider, uh, a registrar service, a, you know, various APIs to pull in data. The list goes on and on and on and on. Now, whether it is a situation where it is your fault, so that in Microsoft's case, again, I don't know all the, the specific, the, the specificities? Is that a word? Anyway, I don't know all the specifics. But I, I, I'm pretty sure, like, Microsoft had to deal with it. It was a Microsoft issue. But in Snapchat's issue, or in Snapchat's case, it was a Google Cloud issue. So it's not their fault. So regardless of whether it is your fault or isn't your fault, whatever it is, I have a bunch of questions that are going to be going to be based around the fact that the customer will blame the place where they're having the problem. So here's the, here's the questions. How do you explain to customers and non-tech-savvy staff that the outage they're experiencing is out of your control, or do you just take it on and say that they're, that the issue is being worked on? Next step would be, or the next question, sorry, would be, do you take any steps to mitigate issues that could arise from third parties, such as maybe server failovers, uh, cached older website versions, maybe some sort of backup of data, uh, backup of da- of uh, critically used data from an API, you back it up on your own servers, etc. Or another question here, do you guarantee any sort of uptime or response time, even when you're relying vitally on third-party vendors for functionality? Okay, uh, a lot to unpackage here, but uh, I mean, it's very relevant. And if you're getting into the web development industry uh, or hosting industry, this is extremely important to know how to deal with. Um, so for non-savvy customers, that how to explain an outage to them when it's not your problem or not your fault is being as upfront as you can be without confusing them, if that makes sense. Uh, because customers get confused very easily. Like if you start talking like, oh, the DNS is down. Like if you say DNS to them, they're not going to know what the heck that is most of the time. If you say any sort of acronym, you're not going to know. You're not going to get anything. Uh, what you have to say is like a company that manages uh, how our website is seen on the internet is having issues. I'm doing whatever I can to mitigate that right now. Uh, they're saying like, usually when I go to a customer, I have some sort of response from the third parties, the third party, if it's either via Twitter or if it's like direct response from a support ticket, something like that. Um, I would tell them what the response is in layman terms and that's it. If they can't handle that kind of answer, like if they start freaking out, uh, that's a different discussion. But for the most part, customers understand how, Stuff can go wrong when it's not you, um, as long as you explain it to them. As long as you don't just say, oh, it's some, you know, random thing that happened and it's not of my control. Like, don't treat it as nothing because for the customer, it is important for them, for their site to be up. You have to explain it to them. And you have to be maybe not apologetic, but un- like understanding of their issue uh, and understanding where they're coming from. Be apathetic. Uh, but also... You don't have to blame everything on yourself either, in my opinion. I don't think you have to just take it on you and be like, oh, I screwed up by choosing the wrong DNS or something like that. Like, that that's like, unless it's actually the case, like if, if maybe you chose the wrong server and it crashes every five minutes and you're just hesitant, like you're not hesitant, but you're stubborn and you don't want to switch it off. If it's your, if it's your bad, sometimes you just own up to it and that's okay. Uh, that's not a big deal as long as you're willing to change, obviously. Like if you're not willing to change, then we're, this conversation's over because you're probably not going to have very many customers for very long. 
Um, but that's kind of how I would handle that situation. Uh, for the other one where what steps do I take to mitigate? Uh, like you said, backups would be one of the only ones that I could think of. Um, out of your, con- like, it's, it's just because if it's out of your control, then I, you can't really mitigate it. The only thing, okay, so actually one thing that is important before you choose a service for a, for a vital customer, check their Twitter, check their bet, like a, as many online reviews as you can find and see what, what they're all about. Like you're going to see a lot of bad reviews sometimes, and that's not going to very necessarily have a, uh, a very big scope of the company because when, when people write reviews, it's usually people that are angry. So that's what you have to keep in mind. But if you're only seeing bad reviews and you're not seeing very much responses on social media or you're not like if the reviews are p- pointing to the fact that these guys don't respond, that's where I would be worried. And that's kind of like, that's something that I would definitely look into before taking on a large contract or something like that. Do these guys respond well to support? Because like you said, Matt, uh, the response time is important. And that's the next question that you have. Like, how do you handle the response time and uptime when it's not your problem or it's not your fault? And I would say the response time, yes, it's on you. Like, so you can guarantee a 24-hour response time, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have it up. Like, you can't guarantee 100%. No one guarantees 100% functionality, like for everything. No no one guarantees 100% uptime. It's just not possible. Maybe if you're a NASA rocket ship, like NASA might guarantee 100% or like 99.9999. I would guarantee something like 99%. That 1% per year is how many days? I don't know. What's, what's, what is it? 365 divided by calc. Let's just, let's just do the calculation here. So 365 times 0.99. 361. So like four and a half days or something like that of downtime. That's what I guarantee. I don't think we've ever had a situation where we were down for four days. No. Of critical service. But like, well, it wasn't critical. But for example, the Embedly, the Embedly outage was rather lengthy, I believe. Like, well, in terms of from the Webflow end, so they're on the Embedly like status page or whatever. They did say, hey, we're having issues and we're investigating an issue. That issue was quote unquote solved. But then furthermore, with the Webflow side of things, however, they've interconnected each other, like however they use each other. That was actually down for way way more than 24 hours. And I'm not even sure how long the original outage was. I believe it was more than 24 hours. But like it was, it was quite a long time. Um, And so... With that, like, we had a client that really needed to, like, post some videos, and they were just, I mean, there there may have been some backups and, like, some other some other workarounds that I could have shown them, but, like, because it needed to be done rapid fire, there was no way I could train them up on that even that really quickly. And so they're just kind of like, they're like, when's this going to come back up? I don't know. Like, I can't, like, I, I explained it, and it's like you, you, like, you just really don't know. Like, so, yeah, so I'm looking at this here, uh, December 3rd. Uh, at 23.07 EST, I'm reading the uh, status.embedly website. Uh, it says, investigating. We're currently investigating an issue with YouTube embed functionality. And then it was resolved on December 5th at 13.16 EST. We've recovered from an outage affecting YouTube embed, blah, 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 blah. And I believe that it was even further after that, because everything said all systems operational, that the Webflow came back up. Could 
Now, I don't know whose fault that was, whether that's Embedly, whether that's Embedly and Webflow, whether that's Webflow. I don't know whose fault that was. Again, though, nothing that I could do. I can't dive in and start, like, changing my Embedly or changing how Embedly works to make it, you know, to Im- implement a workaround. Like, even workarounds are getting more rare these days. I'm I'm finding that we're, I'm implementing less workarounds, and I'm I'm implementing less workarounds, and I'm also giving less workarounds to clients because it, it, everything is just so related to the cloud that you just you're just kind of sol like you just don't know what to do and and another thing that will happen to us pretty frequently is we'll actually be sort of called out uh where it'll be like well why you know why is this down like that you know this shouldn't be down kind of thing whereas i get that but if big companies like google and microsoft are having outages i mean how can you expect a two a two or three man team to to perform to perform at a rate of perfection above a, like a an over billion dollar like well over billion dollar company you know what i mean there comes a point when you're just like well like i understand like the whole the whole thing of like shit rolls downhill and you just kind of have to take it but like sometimes people just especially if they're not tech savvy they'll be like well i don't care like i i want like and this needs to be up it's like fix it i can't fix it <laughs> like what am i supposed to do you know what i mean like I don't know. It's a tough one, and I wouldn't say this to a customer, um, but it always makes me want to be like, "Pay me the money to fix it." Then, you know what I mean? Like when you have, if if you're on a service contract and you have a certain amount of hours on that contract, and the fix, the fix, like let's say Embedly's down, right? The fix for you would be to write your own Embedly, in my opinion, and, and somehow implement that into Webflow, <laughs> and somehow implement that, like. <laughs> that that would be the fix. Yeah. I mean, so that's I don't know, 100 hours. Maybe, maybe something some, like that. Something like that, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, like whatever. Let's just just let's just you know, pretend. And I it I always want to like just be like no problem. You know what? Like if if this is unacceptable and that's that's understandable, here's the quote. Yes. I always want to do that. I'm always hesitant to do that, but I feel like if you do it in the right way, people would understand in a sense, because if they're, if they're getting angry and stuff like that, then I'm, I don't know if this is going to diffuse the situation, but it would make me feel a little bit better. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, don't I mean, know. like, l- luckily, luckily when I explained it to the client that it was a third party thing, they said, well, as long as it's been working, as long as it's being worked on, let's just move on. Luckily that, but we do have those, those cases where not with Embedly and Webflow specifically, but we just, over the years have had cases where the people are like, well, we need like 100% uptime. It's like, it's not going to happen, bud. Like even, even WordPress doesn't guarantee that type of stuff. It's not going to happen. There's power outages, there's floods, there's glitches, there's, there's all, there's a million and one thing. YouTube, like YouTube can do changes at any time. Like YouTube can do changes at any time, which can fuck over a whole bunch of different things that rely on YouTube. And YouTube doesn't care because YouTube's okay. You know, that, that can happen. Because everything is so interconnected now that it's just gone crazy. Like one one thing I could think of to back things up, which would work, is backing up. And this is probably something that is commonly done or is commonly done is backing up data um, at from an API. So oftentimes an API will, especially if it's something like a movie database, something really big, car database, whatever it is, they'll say, you know, we have a lot of data, we have a lot of people hitting us. We only want you to update, like let's say a maximum of ten times a day or whatever. There's they're always different. So 
when, so w- even though we're, our data is changing all the time, please like hit us once, download our all our data, and this varies per API, but download all our data, keep it in a local database somewhere, and then so now it's now it's in your database. You can do kind of what you want with it within the parameters that are allowed on the API. You could do a bunch of backups, a bunch of redundancy, whatever, so that if that API goes down, it's not a big deal. Are you a little bit out of date? Yeah, but that's that's way that's way less of an impact than being completely down just because you don't have the latest mercedes that was just added today in your car app means well in a few hours when that app comes back online or the api comes back online you are going to have it it's going to kind of fix itself and what's weird about this interconnected world as well is that from a developer perspective so from someone from our perspective we actually we actually rely on these interconnected services being fixed a good example of that is all of this, like with Webflow, I don't really have to deal with any sort, any of the hosting stuff, short of looking really quickly and then filing a ticket. Everything is going to be fixed. It's almost like I have a support team ready for me at all times. It's 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 literally like that. And Embedly is the same way, where Embed because I actually was talking to them. I sent them. I sent in a ticket to like say there was you know further issues and that type of thing, and they were they were uh, friendly enough to respond and assist. And so. But like what I'm saying is 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 that's that it's it's super helpful where it's not like we built a custom app and there's an outage and now there's like this big huge problem it's like no we can we are actually relying on the fact that these interconnected services have an invested interest in being up and they have a, a support team or they have a technical team they're ready and therefore they're going to fix themselves and so it's kind of like a two-sided coin where we're going to get yelled at or get called by our clients but but then we're going to be like yeah you know it's you know, however you want to describe it. Yeah, we're working on it, but really it's somebody else working on it. Or, hey, you know, this is somebody else. We're going to be waiting on them to fix it. And it's sort of a, a little bit of relief on our part where we're like, well, we're kind of offloading some of the support where I don't need to constantly take a look and be like, oh, damn, one of my DigitalOcean servers are down or something. You know what I mean? It's not something that I manage fully. It's something that somebody else manages. So we, we have to wait. Like, what are you going to do? You know, it's one of those things. But So... And like, I, I like that you brought up the caching of the API calls because that's absolutely what's done in, in the industry. Like for every, for every app that I've done, I've always cached API calls to be able to do offline mode. So that it, it helps immensely because if you have a shoddy internet connection, which I'm telling you right now, most people have shoddy internet connection. The cached API calls help crazy well with that like they make they will make your app feel like lightning and i we've gotten a lot of uh praise because our app feels so fast and stuff like that the newer apps um because all the api calls are cached we're never using live data now not all api calls can be cached because some api services actually do a lot of calculation like sometimes you send something to them they send something back that's something that you can't really get away from. But inside your application, what you can do is if you detect an error, you should have error detection. Or inside your website, if you detect that API is not receiving, have a nice page up there that's not broken, right? That <coughs> either explains it to the user or gives them other relevant information and tells them that, listen, come back to the page in a certain amount of time. Maybe it'll be fixed. Something like that. Just do a gracious uh fail fail over it not like a, an, an immediate fail to like a red screen with like fail on it you know what i mean like 
or like a blank screen is always, always really bad and people freak out. So if, if you want to like do some error logging, do some error catching, display the correct errors to the people that usually mitigates a lot of calls. Um, because they usually know that you're working on it and stuff like that. Like sometimes you'll even display like, listen, you have like a working on it page that you activate and be like, when something goes down, you just activate that page for whatever went down. And then the user getting on the site knows that you've already, you're already starting to work on it. So there's a lot of mitigation that you can do and a lot of, um, experience handling in quotations, uh, that you can achieve. But like you said, you can never guarantee 100% unless, and I, I wanted to say this when you were saying it, they want to pay. Like I said, with the thing that uh, you want 100% or 99.99% yeah, we have, we have want to hire people. <laughs> you, do, do you want NASA level support? Like, do, is that what you want? And here, here's the quote. Because because here, you, like, we, here you, you could have you could have redundant websites across different across different data centers across the world. Absolutely, where, where you could have a man sitting with like a a computer in his hands at all times, ready if something goes you down could. to just plug it yeah, in. Yeah, you could. You could have people on shift. Like you could. Yeah. Like it's not it's not necessarily impossible, but it's exactly it's, it's not impossible. It's very like like I said, it's cost prohibitive. So you could send them the bill. Like you can send them the invoice. Like if they really if, – if they're so adamant about it, you know what I mean? And like in some services, health services, which we avoid and I'll continue to avoid, like serious well, health services. serious health services and banking. Banking I'll avoid for the most part because they have their own development teams anyway. I don't want to deal with that. Um, anything to do with – anything to do with a person's life at stake. Like you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not controlling Ford's airbag support system. Like oh, I'm not no, – yeah. I'm not writing a website to control Ford's way. Like – it's just not happening, and 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 even so, even like simpler than that, we we recently just we recently just disabled on a client website the ability to to create accounts because we found that like even though they wasn't even storing anything past their username password and their their address I think it was or something like that for shipping it was just easier to allow like most customers are doing autofill anyway and we were just like well we don't want this data <laughs> like even though a lot of it's probably public a minus their password it's just like oh I don't want this data. Get rid of this. That's Delete right, yeah. all this crap. I don't want it. In some cases, that's better to not store it. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you don't want to pay for the support to secure your storage, you know what I mean? Like that costs a certain amount of money. That costs a certain amount of hours. It's better just not to store it if you don't want to use it. Like sometimes it's better to like take that data and use it for marketing. But if that's not what you're doing, then if the, if you don't want to spend the money on it, then don't do it. Yeah, yeah. It's just how it is. I don't like. It's just there's a lot of things that you can do, and there's a lot of things that should be done, but there's just no money. Like a lot of these people, a lot of these times that you're saying like, "Oh, we want it up 100 percent." Their websites are like, I'll be I'll be blatantly honest, five hundred, seven hundred fifty dollars. That's how much. That's how much we're being paid to 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 keep them up 100 percent of the time. Now we obviously explain to them that we can't do that. Yeah, 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 and stuff like that, and they are usually understanding of it. But like that's what I'm saying. Like when it's usually the lower which is weird i don't get i don't get it's it, it's been years of it too yeah it's just how like it's just our industry like it you'll see it out there in in the field like let us know on on the socials how how you see it but like for the most part the people that lowball are the people that are the the most demanding that's just how it is it's not necessarily a bad thing all the time like some people are great to work with they lowball and sometimes you can work out a price and that's fine because it works out with Workout features installments or whatever, like yeah. Sure, yeah, it's totally doable. I'm not saying that they're bad people or anything. That's for sure. For some reason, but <laughs> for some reason, if they're going to lowball you, they're going to want the most out of their money. 
I mean, it, a, I guess it kind of makes sense. That's a weird phenomenon, isn't it? I didn't really even yeah. think about it that way. It's always, it's it's not always, but in general, is a good chance that like for some reason, if the person's complaining, chances are they didn't pay that much. Yeah, which is so bizarre, because those same people, and in general, people, people in general, that buy the cheap version or the no-name version or the the off-brand version or whatever you want to call it of a certain product would realize like, hey, I bought, I didn't buy Beats or I didn't buy this X name brand headphones. So these headphones mm-hmm. are going to be worse and they're willing to make a sacrifice. But for some reason, when it comes to web development, some of these people, I don't know, I don't get it. I can't, I can't explain it. And and it's one thing to be pissed. You, you explain and the person moves on. That's fine. It's another thing to be pissed. You explain and the person's still pissed. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I can't fix. Thankfully, I can't that fix doesn't YouTube. happen very often. No, that doesn't happen yeah. very often. It hasn't actually happened yeah. in probably over a year, I'd say. But yeah. still, it's still man. That's that's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon you brought up, Mike. That's uh, mm-hmm. a very true phenomenon from our experience too. Really weird. But uh, I'm I'm kind of. I think that's a good conclusion. I think that's a good talk on reliability and both sides of the coin. Um, unless you have any other comment, Mike. Nope. Alrighty. I'm good. Well, uh, thank you for listening. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials. That's at HTML All the Things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. We're also on Twitter via at HTML Everything. We're on Medium and we're on GitHub. And remember, we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML All the Things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our three dollar tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find us at youtube.com slash rat or find him, sorry, at youtube.com slash rabbitworks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Selfmade Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. And last but not least, Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.